0: Hey, this is Eugene Jarvis, and welcome to Video Game Bullshit! Jeffrey Wittenhagen, I'm an author of multiple gaming books, including collector's guides for both the Nintendo and Super Nintendo. I'm a huge fan of action RPGs like The Legend of Zelda and obscure systems like the Neo Geo and TurboGrafx-16. And we've got guys. Hey!
1: I'm big into uh, no death runs, high score runs, uh, collector of all things, vintage and retro. Uh, Pretty much anything video game related. Also collect figures, vinyl, VHS, tap handles, old beer signs, and old beer steins. Please call our number, leave a voicemail, or a text message at 262-264-VGBS. That's another good topic, just to, like, talk about what you've gone through. Oh, God. Just because it's, like, a learning experience for everybody.
0: <laughs> get started at the beginning. Goddamn content creation's a bitch. (laughs)
1: Infinitely. Hell yeah. Never ends as long as you're going. Shit's good. It's like little roadblocks.
0: It's like no matter what you work on, like there's tons of little things that have to be refined constantly. And if you don't take the time, you're gonna end up with something crazy. It was like my buddy Antoine when I when I talked with him at the Coleco Expo. His Coleco book has fucking like photo paper as the cover. Oh no! It's like it's like barely a piece of paper. Like it's he's like yeah I didn't know what they were you know in, in his accent he's like yeah I didn't really know rice paper and they like shipped them all like that and he's like oh fuck <laughs> oh no he said half of them were like. Upside down the covers. Oh, God. Yeah, dude. It was nightmares. I was was like, dude, just when you're going to do another book, just hit me up. I'll get you, I'll either publish it for you or I'll get you with the printing company and you can do it. Like, (laughs) could you go through all the proofing and they send you a sample
1: and you think it's all good, but then they still fuck it up because some idiot just was like stoned or something?
0: Well, here's the thing that's crazy. (laughs) And I'm OCD. But it's like, if you look on the NES Oddities cover, they didn't get it how I wanted it. On my proof copy, it's perfect. On this one, they literally blew up the cover slightly so everything goes right to the edges. And it looks cool, but it wasn't how I initially wanted it. Like, I wanted a little bit more breathing room around the whole spine. Like, the spine, like the NES, goes all the way up to the edges completely. Like, if anybody looks at my book while we're, like, talking even, like... It, it goes all up to the fucking edges. And on the front cover, too. And I wanted a little bit of breathing room. And I used fucking bleeds so that way it can bleed over the sides. Like, it looks good no matter where it gets cut. <laughs> God damn, pal. Yeah,
1: there's always those unexpected things. Yeah, like, I, there's so many bands that say, like, they, they tried to use reds or something, and it came out pink. So their album cover is, like, pink now and not red. It's like, oh, <laughs> no. Like, it's not what it was supposed to be. Like, yeah, it's... You, you take so much care, and it's still, once once it's left your hands... Yeah, it's it's fair game at that point, because who fucking knows what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> Dude, we could go over all that craziness of, like... So every single print run that I've had, there's always something. Every single project that we've had, I've had, there's been something. Like, it's been crazy. Like, my first freaking publisher changes the damn... Name of the book to Hidden Treasures from Hidden Gaming Gems. Good classic, yeah. And then, like, literally, I don't even know if he printed any copies or not, but didn't market it. Didn't have, like, it was a publishing company, you know, it's supposed to take care of all that shit. Didn't do any of that. (laughs) Like, then I had to literally beg him to get my damn proof back because they did a bunch of editing and shit, apparently. And he gave me a locked-down PDF that I had to decrypt to break, hack into to get my own fucking book to be able to be a normal PDF that's not locked so I could put it with like a print-on-demand company. I couldn't even edit it, though, the file.
1: Yeah, because it needs a password or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. We get that at work, too. Like, Like, come on, dude. And, like, my initial fucking book was done in Word. So, like, now at least I have the PDF. So, I figured it out now, in real world, I figured out how to import PDFs into InDesign. And then I can do some... But it imports it as each page as an image. It's high-res. It looks good. But now I gotta manipulate it. But I can't manipulate the individual elements to make, the, make it look any better. But at least I can fuck around with it and make it look a little more refined so like when I'm doing I'm doing a redo of the pocket guide for video games monthly little loot crate guys and anybody who's doing my Super Nintendo Kickstarter gets a free then their VGM subscriber they get a free book um, so I actually I'm adding a little bit more to it making it making the pages look a little fucking cooler but like that is literally a nightmare because so I had a PDF you do those print on demand sites they're limited They're very limiting. Like, you're literally going through a computer algorithm to upload your fucking books. And then when you get the proof, it looks nothing like it looked on the computer. (laughs) Kicking the cratch. So if you look on the complete NES, there's giant margins. Um, It's cool because it actually allows you to write notes and shit, but that's glass half full look. Like, in all reality, it's like that because the PDFs are... A little like they were locked. So then the first book that I did in InDesign was ninety ninety one, Super Nintendo. Um and I'm still using and at that point I start and, and with the complete NES I started using the book baby website. And there's a person though this time. So we got a human being that I can talk to, right? So every time I printed with them, I got something different back. <laughs> Every single time. So the complete NES, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but the first print run, the spine was, like, slightly shifted on the spine, so you could see a fucking line. Oh, yeah. And so then they replaced all those, which was nice of them, Goodwill and all that. Um, They replaced all the, the messed up ones, which was half the damn print run, and so all the backers got a corrected one, which was good. And then I only sold the ones that were like shifted. I showed people at conventions and go, hey, just so you know, the spine is a little shifted. Only really I would notice it, but that way everybody knew what they were getting. Being honest. yeah, Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then 90 and 91 though, I learned what was called Bleed and Center Bleed. So there's other books that they don't know what Center Bleed is. All That just means that all the text is so far that you have to like almost rip the spine open to be able to read the the stuff that's really close to the spine on the insides. Yeah, that's the worst. And, and literally, so when you're de- developing a book, you have to shift everything over about eight spaces away from the spine. So I literally created a template now where I have the background is where the bleed is. So, I, like, this is the furthest that I can push text. You can push imagery outside of that bleed, and it'll look fine because, you know, the imagery can, can go past it. But I have these black boxes when I create the books. That's the edges of where the text go. Um, so that way, whenever I'm devising anything, I know not to go beyond that. So when I'm making the crazy compendiums with all the personal stories, they look good because I'm literally paying attention to every nuance because I've went through it all. What was the crazy one? Was it the Super Nintendo compendium, or was it 91, where they shipped me the book, and it was twisted? Like, it was literally, like, five degrees counterclockwise, the whole book. And it got worse from the beginning to the end. So fucked up. And then they argued with me and said, that's how it is. Well, see, it's weird, because at the print
1: shop that I had, we had a a whole QC department. Yeah. And... You know, one person would do the job and one person would QC. Sometimes we'd switch around, whoever, you know, was best at whatever. But it's weird that that would get past two people. The other one that you had that was weird when the spine was, like, longer than the actual amount of pages actually needed. And so there was a gap between
0: the cover and the first page. So so that would be the next story because so the, the shifted one the shifted one they blamed on me. They said, Oh, it's your formatting, and I'm like, So the page numbers is how I noticed it. Cause in my page numbers, I use that in the master template, which means it is literally on every single page in the exact same spot, the exact same way. And you put like this little character and it's the page number, so it changes for every page. It's something that's built into InDesign. So I know that it's not my format because the page number is the same. It should be in the same spot. So if it's cut weird, it'll be in the same spot. Cut weird the whole time. That's fine. Then it's just my bad. But no, it literally got further and further away from the spine. <laughs> like every like the page number like moved as you went through it. It was f- fucking crazy. And then as I as the next issues would come up, they started to not be as nice. Too, and then there's your spine thing. So they literally, when I um did the complete SNES, I did a second print run where I used Jim Wormal's Ganon versus Link picture, and uh, I wanted high quality paper because there's a Reddit thread on you know the complete SNES. And they didn't like the cover, um, So, but some people said that the paper quality was pretty poor. So I, I started asking them, I'm like, hey, so aren't I using the high-gloss paper? They're like, oh, you wanted to use good quality paper? Well, th- that's going to cost you extra. So I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, so it was like, it wasn't even that much extra. It was like ridiculously pennies per book extra. So I'm like, why wouldn't I do that? So, literally, so they're okay, we'll make it high gloss. So, they send me the second printing, and the shit is not high gloss. Like, it is completely subdued. Like, I sent the copy to my current printing company, and they laughed. Yeah, oh, these people are getting some shit over on you. Um, the, the thing that was really alarming is the leather-bound tomes. When I sent them for the Super Nintendo one, which they literally took the complete SNES and the Super Nintendo compendium, they said that the the spine printing from Book Baby is backward from the industry standard. And they literally won't hold up past like 10 years or something. Mm, shelf life. Yeah, and, and then they said that they um the ink is printed in such a way that when they were doing the gold gilding, it was melting the pages together. Oh, God. Because the their printing is so poor.
1: And the other thing, before we get too far from it, um, yeah. the topic of losing quality after hooking the customer,
0: mm-hmm. and that's
1: a classic, because they try real hard to get your first one or two sales, and then once they have you, the, the big fault of the company is not going out of their way to retain you know, the loyal customer, which is actually the one that you would want to go out of your way to retain, which is... Backwards. yeah, so backwards because they're more interested in getting an influx of new customers that they actually mm-hmm. forget about the best customers that they currently have. And that's a cardinal sin, man. Oh, terrible sin. Cardinal
0: fucking sin. So the crazy thing with, with this company was is that their sales team... They were cool as hell. Like the, the one guy that I talked to that contacted me, he's a gamer. He had the Game Boat podcast back in the day. I, I think that they're no longer a podcast, but he's cool as shit. But then you go over to their actual production team and they're shitheads. They're arguing. They're saying shit's my fault. And then I contact, you know, the sales guy that I know and he's like, um, well, let me, let me figure it out. And then like literally he's having to talk to them and like it's, it's stressful for him. Because they're being terrible on the production side. Well, number one, they they made two mistakes.
1: They um, number one, they're blaming it on the customer, which is horrible. But number two, they're also letting you in on their like little drama,
0: mm-hmm. and that's seriously unprofessional. Then and, and then the um the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a Kyle letter right there. <laughs> so. The straw that broke the camel's back is that the sales team sent me a questionnaire on what I would like to improve. And this was all around the same time when they didn't send me the glossy stuff. Um, I already had multiple errors. I was like, well, first of all, I want everything freaking QC'd. That would be nice. Um, I got... <laughs> and I would get a proof copy. I would get proof copies sent to me that were fine. And then I and get the fucking print run and it's jacked. It's shit. Yeah. And I'm like, how is that different? Oh, well, they, they give me all these excuses like, oh, the printing, and when you're printing in bulk, it's different than when you're printing a couple and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, well, if you need to check it before you send it to me and make sure they're good, like it's common sense. But here's the thing. So I'm like, so I see all this stuff and I see what, you know, other people are putting out in books. And I'm like, so I want printing on the end sheets on the inside of the cover and the end sheets that go with it. There's six sheets that are blank in all my books. I'm like, I want pictures in there. Everybody else is doing it. All the other books are doing it. Why can't I do it? Oh, we don't have the capability to do that. I'm like, I also want glossy pages. Well, they are glossy. Uh, can I get a bookmark ribbon? No, we don't do bookmark ribbons. Like, everything that I would ask for, they, they couldn't do. It was just... And I was at my wit's end. Like I was literally like, well... I'm kind of screwed because if you look online, BookBaby is the same price as all the other companies, all the other, because this it's literally like a company. If you go to their site, you can like do everything on the computer, but they have a sales team and they work deals with you. And that's the thing. So with the deals, their prints made my Kickstarter prices work at the time. So the sixty dollar, the forty dollar books, with their deals, they it made it work to where I could at least make a couple bucks to buy extra books. That was it.
1: And here's what's scary, because I was a supervisor at a print shop for, like, a a number of years in Mm -hmm. my 20s. And the thing is, okay, so, like, the sales people basically sit in the back. They have, like, their cubes and stuff. And then you have the floor with the people who actually do the bulk of the actual work. And then, so there's a fine line, and that's the problem where the salesman just comes and says, Okay, this is what we have to do. Here you go. And then he l- walks back and works on more sales. Yeah. So he, there's this huge wall between, you know, the people actually doing the manual labor and then the actual salesman. That's where the problem lies, and I've yeah. had it too. People coming in hungover, and then you know, and then those are the same people that were missing for a half an hour, hiding <laughs> in the stairwell or the, the the stall, the classic hiding in the bathroom stall. Classics, you know, yeah. Why is he been gone for a half an hour? You know, because how it would work at my print shop, there was a room, and like all the manual people would chill there. So once a job came in. It was almost like who's going to get the job? Oh, they're like they're literally doing rock paper scissors to see who has to work. You would go in there, and it's like, well, you knew each person had a set uh, skill set, and you would kind of, you know, figure out which person wore which hat. But if that person's missing, if they're hiding somewhere, then they don't get the job, so they can just chill all day, essentially. So it creates a lazy mindset where there's no reward for doing that job. It's it's kind of like what you and me were talking about with manual labor versus like an office job, like when we finish all of our work, then we can like play, so to speak. We can go online or, you know, uh yeah. work on projects because no one's like looking at us the whole time whereas if you do a manual labor type job, which I've worked at a print shop too before I was a supervisor, and while I was a supervisor, I still had to do the fucking jobs cuz People wouldn't show up or whatever to work. But, yeah, that was the whole thing where the more work that you do in a manual labor environment, it doesn't matter. They'll just give you more work. So it creates the, the lazy mindset of why should I do more work? I'm not getting paid more, and I'm just doing more. So I'm, yeah. I'm getting paid the same, but I'm doing more than everyone else. Fuck that. And that's <laughs> the problem with that whole system. So, yeah, the the issue is definitely on the manual labor side of things, and um, the salesmen are just expecting they're going to do it right. So the salesmen are doing a good job, it seems like, Yeah. and telling you one thing, but then when they hand it off, whoever they hand it off to is just
0: fucking dropping it like it's hot fucking potato, man. Yeah. And I think that whole company itself has limitations to... They just started doing this within the last couple years is what I found out like through research um, after the fact. So I'm like, oh, they're just new at it. They're learning. They don't have the heavy equipment to do it good, like really good. So it's like... Uh, so, so basically, I was kind of shit out of luck. Then, fortunately, um, I talked with my buddy Tim mentioned his name on the coleco expo vgbs live tim lapatino did the art of atari lapatino yeah and um he's from chicago he's a huge Cubs fan all right really really cool dude but i was sitting there chatting with him and i'm just like so i was like so what do you do like how do you get such good quality and all that and while the art of atari he has a publisher and all that like he has a really big publisher, he had a previous book, and he's like, well, I have a person for you. So he introduced me to a person that runs a a printing company where they farm out to different countries for the printing. And they can do some smaller stuff in-house, but then they do bulk printing for a really cheap price. So what that did was, is it opened up the point where, like, even with the Super Nintendo one, I would have been able to print, I think, like, for the price that I printed with Book Baby, I would have been able to print over 5,000 books, whereas with Book Baby, I printed maybe 300. Which is so fucking crazy of a landslide of a difference. I mean, 5,000, because yeah, with the complete, uh. the first complete SNES Kickstarter, it was wildly successful. There was a lot of money there. Yeah, definitely. And they ate it all up into Book Baby for the print costs. It was insane how much I, print, I, I paid to them. Um, now, that being said, the setup fee is pretty expensive, and why I'm not going to do any more two-book Kickstarters, it's just going to be single books, because the, the two-book thing is, is pretty expensive. Unless it's, like, ridiculously successful. Like, I'll probably have to put it as a, a later stretch goal, um, like, more than I've made for the previous ones. Yeah. yeah but it's like... It's crazy, though, like, I think they were printed, the NES Oddities and the Nintendo Compendium were printed in Korea. And the thing is, this happened while the NES Oddities Kickstarter was in progress or was just funded, so I had all the prices set up, everything beforehand. And, you know, it was the $60 big book or $40 smaller book price set. That's what worked with the previous printing company. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that with a new printing company, I can afford to go finally to the sweet spot because the books are cheaper and I'm, st- and I'm able to print more so then I can put them in, an- and I have a warehouse now where I put them in the warehouse and I can get them fulfilled by Amazon and all this craziness where because I can print at a cheaper level now, I can do things like hire an editor. That'd be nice, right? <laughs> like I don't have to do all the crazy editing myself. And that's where I think this conversation is going to go, though, is because then when you go into the warehouse... Which has its own set of issues, as everything does. And you go into the new printing company, the new printing company has its own set of nuances. So with BookBaby, I could do smaller print runs. They're set up for smaller print runs. This new company is not. So when you're ordering... like, Because I got used to and accustomed to editing with proofs. So they would send me like two or three books early pre-edited and I would do the editing manually old school style and I enjoyed it but with this new company it's expensive I would literally have to order five and I think that they're like 60 dollars a book or something Uh, you know the the giant 500 pagers so like it was really expensive to do the proofing and so with the last one the Nintendo compendium I'm like well can they just sent me an unbound proof so it's was just all like sheets of paper, like printed, right? Mm. And when I got the bill, they charged me $268 for that. And then they charged me another $268 to send to do another one for some reason. I don't even know why. Weird. So I'm waiting to hear back, like, what the hell that is. Cause that's the thing, though, is that when they send you these bills, and that goes for like anybody, when a company sends you a bill and they itemize shit out, look at it. It's like you should look at your credit card statements every month and your debit card statements because if shit shows up that doesn't look right, you got to question it. Otherwise, they're not going to say a word.
1: That's the shady
0: part. They're just going to fucking go. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's shady or if it's just like they're all like everybody's like you're saying under the stairwell fucking looking to go do their next thing. So they're not really paying attention. Just adding shit real quick.
1: Yeah. That's most of it. Like not noticing it.
0: I think it's more that.
1: There's definitely that percentage that do notice, like that's more on the salesman
0: side where they're like, eh, uh, let's just um, ask forgiveness later. Now, if we're talking a mechanic or a used car salesman, you're damn right. That's what they do. <laughs>
1: yeah, ask forgiveness later. Hopefully they won't notice, you know.
0: Yeah, so I just ask because, I mean, there's there's probably a reasonable explanation. It's I mean, from my perspective, it's like, all right, so they probably charged per page. If it's $268 and it's a 200-page book, they charged a dollar per page. That's ridiculous, by the way. One sheet of paper, a dollar. That's insane. Yeah. So, if they did that, that's weird. Um, I'm not going to do physical proofs anymore. That's just it. I, I can't. And I have proof backers on Patreon that I'm going to have to talk to, and we'll figure out some cool ass items they can get instead. Because, like, I l- literally can't afford to do proofs if they're going to charge me that much money.
1: Yeah, and just when the whole thing with people hiding the truth when they know it. It kind of exposes the dark side of human nature. Yeah, if they
0: know it, then yeah, for sure. It's
1: nasty. Which is a great example, like, because I've, you know, been seriously getting into, like, guitars, even, like, disassembling them, taking them apart. Mm-hmm. It's a nice little sidebar. Yeah. So the thing is, I was taking apart my old Strat, the first one that I got, and, like, souping it up and shit. And I realized I had got, like, a new pickup put in by... uh music lab was a store you know down the street sure and uh i had a pickup that was like a a heavy metal seymour duncan hot rails um it's for the the bridge pickup which is the one on the very very end um toward the bottom but yeah so when i was taking apart the guitar i I realized they fucked up on the installation on certain parts where they're supposed to be um these little like rubber tubing that are around the screws that kind of secure the pickup in place and i realized that one of them was missing damn and it was like yeah and it was it was weird because when i had gotten it back that pickup was always a little loose and the, the pickups are those 3 deals like where you actually pick the strings underneath that that actually give your tonality if you flip through those you can get a heavy sound you can get a real light cool clean sound so <laughs> i was looking for a heavier sound but i was looking and realizing dude they fucked this shit
0: up and the pickup was loose all these years and if and that looseness builds a rattling then when you record it it fucks up everything and all these
1: years and i thought oh that's just how it's supposed to be and then when i took it apart And I'm studying, you know, like the Floyd Rose bridge, which the Strat is easy because it doesn't have a Floyd Rose, but string tension, which, you know, from the back of the guitar, and how to work an actual Floyd Rose locking Tremolo system, which is way crazier. But So this is, like, really
0: basic, and they fucked that up. Just shows how careless they were when they installed it. Yeah, and it's like,
1: they were old school dudes, like 40, 50 years old, which is what will be soon... And they like let that slide. It was just kind of like, man, if I would have known what I know now, I would have realized you guys are slime balls, like you know, missing that that one piece and making it tight, the the pickup real tight, that's what makes everything perfect again, But yet they didn't even do that, and they just gave it to me because I was a kid, and they're like, "Oh, he won't notice." And that's the whole thing. Like, he won't notice. That That shows the dark side of human. Like, I would never fucking do that. Dude, if I had to, I would get something offline and order a piece and would not even mention it. Yeah. It's real cheap, you know? It's a piece
0: of fucking rubber tubing. Like, come on. So that's the whole thing. and And that's the thing is, like, I didn't let any of the books get out to backers that were jacked up that we've been talking about. Like, only the good ones got out to anybody who I sent them out. And th- that's, like, the craziness that I had to go through from each one is to get all the, the perfect ones to me first. And that's another thing. Like, customers don't
1: see all the cogs in the wheel, Mm-mm. so they don't understand that
0: you don't even realize that shit's been fucked up. Mm-mm. And then, so, when people see the NES compendium compared to the Super Nintendo compendium, and the quality upgrade. The NES oddities compared to the previous two complete NES and complete SNES, the quality upgrade, that shit was by design and the new company that I'm going with because of the problems that I had with BookBaby. And it's not problems, it's that the limitations that they presented themselves. That's all they could do. Well, I don't want to present something like that because that's not my vision. My vision... The NES Oddities is the close is, is the perfect vision of what I wanted from the books. That's for the collectors' ones. The NES Compendium, the Super Nintendo Compendium, is close to the NES Compendium. It's just the paper quality and the end sheets. But like the NES Compendium is exactly where I want that series at. That's why that's what I'm christening my second generation of books. The second generation started with that. Because it's now... That's why I went to Kickstarter and it's, you know, doing pretty damn well for the definitive complete SNAs. That's why that exists. And I'm adding the Super Famicom to it to sweeten the deal. And then I can drop the price because of the new printing company. So it's like a super win-win for everyone. And then it'll be awesome. And then every book going forward will be in that awesome definitive quality. Everything's going to be amazing going forward. It's because... I've literally had to learn, like you learned the Floyd Rose and you've learned how to restring your guitar and everything. I've had to learn the nuances of printing and publishing to the point, because I want a quality standard. If I just want to get a book out there and, and, and get it printed and just sell books and, and I don't give a shit what it looks like, then I would be okay. But the fact that I want something that's that I'm proud of, it's like I have to literally learn every fucking nuance of it. And on, on my
1: end, like, I can just go on YouTube now. Dude, I, wouldn't know, I couldn't figure out any of this shit. Mm-mm. But I think the only way, back in the day, like in the 80s and 90s, you know, you'd have to get, like, a VHS that's, like, an hour and a half long of some, like, really dry guy
0: instructing you how to do it. And it's like, oh, my God. For the guitar stuff, yeah. What you would have had to have done back in the day is go to those 40-year-old, 50-year-old dudes at that store and just apprentice them and have them teach you, and they'll have to pay them to do it there is a craft
1: to it. Yeah. There's there's lots of things you can do to customize shit that people don't even know. If you didn't have that online resource, you you'd have to go to some old sage, you know.
0: Yeah, and I mean with with the book printing aspects, there is there's no YouTube video. There's no yeah. anything on that. So I literally have to learn through doing, and that's where I don't think just anybody is going to be able to do a good book. So even if there's, you know, copycat people that are doing books, really, there's only going to be a few people that stick around and continue to do them because everybody else is just going to either either they're going to hit the fade books take a fucking long time to do They're going to either hit a fade because it's going to be too much work for them or they're going to release something that just gets shit on by all the all the community because it's so bad. I mean, I've seen both. I mean, and then you got guys like uh, Kirk Collado with Hardcore Gaming that put out amazing quality all the time. And he's using, um, I think, Amazon still, which is, again, an automated process. But Amazon takes, like, a shit ton of money from every book. Oh, eBay too. Though. But But with his, he's like, it's a convenience factor and it's yeah. promotion. So he doesn't have to pay for giant print runs. He just... Pays for whatever he brings to conventions, and then people can just go on Amazon and buy it. So he doesn't literally he doesn't have to um, do in bulk or anything, but he also isn't going to be able to make a living off of that.
1: There's also the PayPal factor for eBay, like. Ebay takes their amount and PayPal takes their amount, so you're getting fucking hit twice on there.
0: What's well, like when I do uh, Kickstarter? Kickstarter takes theirs. They charge you some money for to run people's cards, and then they charge you money for taxes, and they charge you another. There's like four fees from Kickstarter at the end of the day.
1: Brutal. It's yeah. Insane. Same with
0: the eBay thing when I was selling. Like,
1: god damn, dude, I don't get anything.
0: Well, it's why I literally show people where the extra money goes to, because that has to be all in the overhead. Um, It has to be figured in. But Yeah, so that's the thing, and that's why
1: this episode is so important, because you're so truthful about shit. Oh, it's, it's ingrained in my blood. Yeah, like you just don't hide anything. You have no, like, filter, and that's what's great, because you will let people know what you've gone through. And
0: this is huge. People... Don't have to go through all this shit now. Because you've done it. <laughs> well, And this is literally why I'm, I'm incorporated Hagen's Alley Books into a publishing company. And so if people don't want to go through all this fucking headache and they want to make their own books, just contact me. And, and I'll do it for you. Like, I'm not going to do every aspect of the book. Like, it's more of a go-getters publishing company. So you do as much as you want to or can. And then I'll get you to the finish line. I will give you the tools or teach you or show you the way. And if it's something that's going to require a lot of work, then yeah, we'll talk about money. But if it's just like literally me getting you the name of a printing company, that's not going to cost anything. I'll just help you out. But the thing is, is the knowledge that I have and the verbiage and the quality aspects and getting everything to the finish line at the highest quality possible. People don't fucking know that shit right now. And that's where I'd be able to help people. And that's where I want to go with it once I actually finish my career in the military. Is I'm going to go toward publishing and working with lots of people. Like, And I'm going to start it now with just people I know. Just to, so we can work on getting a good flow going.
1: Yeah, Todd, it's always the safest. <laughs> just go with who's cool, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like when I talk to dudes like... Um, uh, with Phoenix 4 Leonard Herman and he's literally been writing you know he's the first game in his story I've been writing for 20 years and like he's went from publisher to publisher to publisher and then I see his current book and it's 900 pages now and he's like yeah it's not quite where I wanted I'm like then why did you go that way <laughs> like it's crazy like and he has to charge I think 80 dollars for the book to make money like I think it costs him 60 or 70 dollars a book to make it he sounds he sounds really critical of his own work he's very critical steve Vai said like
1: you dude you gotta like stop that mm-hmm. you, you gotta fucking like take a step back and just view it as a viewer not as oh my god i could do this so much better and once you take yourself away from that that's when the fucking creativity starts because you're not judging yourself. Oh, I suck. Oh, I suck. You don't fucking suck.
0: We're all our worst enemies, man. It's crazy. Well, here's the thing with Leonard. Is you're a 100% right with what you just said, though. Because Leonard is like the nicest dude ever. Really knowledgeable. Like, knows way more about video games than pretty much anybody that I know. He's freaking the gaming historian. But here's the thing. You're right. Because he literally said, oh, I can do this better. Phoenix 1... Was literally 200 pages. Phoenix 4 is the same book, 900 pages. Like, he keeps on adding more years to it. And I'm like, well, then why didn't you do volumes? Or, you know, like you could have kept that book as a volume and then did the next volume so people could collect the volumes. And he's going to start doing that going forward. But it's like now it's a 900 page volume. And then you're going to have like a small volume for every year or something. Well, that's the other thing. You could break things out. And piecemeal them. Yeah, his chapters are are by year now. So it's like he has, you know, 30 chapters or something. It's insane. But the thing was is that he has an awesome-ass book, and I'm like, well, we can work on getting you there, but he's like, well, I don't have the money to do the print run. I'm like, crowdfunding. That's a huge aspect that's current right now while we're recording. Here's the thing, though. Kickstarter, Indiegogo, GoFundMe, whatever the websites are, that may not last forever. Mm, Nothing will. You don't know. Well, and that's the thing. That's the thing. Anything could happen.
1: It's just like the demonetization of YouTube. One day, bam. It's just like Equifax breach. One day, bam. You don't fucking know.
0: Yeah. Because the reason why Kickstarter is, is awesome is because... It is a way for me to take the books online, get a lot of people to see it, and then they can pre-order. They can pre-order the books, and I have a 100% track record for all my projects. Everything's out. So they know that they're going to get their books. It's not like a game where you never know if it's going to come out or not. (laughs) Yeah, man. That's the worst. I mean, because there's a lot of games right now that I've backed on Kickstarter that... There's, I think there's only been two, maybe three that just they ran out of money and I'm never going to get the game. I know one of them asked if I wanted a refund and I was like, no, it was like 20 bucks or something. I was like, no. Nah.
1: I never read the fine print of Kickstarter. Is it kind of like uh, pledge at your own risk?
0: It's always pledge at your own risk. So if you go on Kickstarter and you pledge to a video game documentary, like I did, um, and they decide to not release the documentary, which they did, this was a uh, I think it was No Woman in the Cat, No Princess in the Castle. It's about women in video gaming. That one it fell through, and they're not doing it now. Um, as far as I know, they might still do it in the future. But, uh, yeah, you basically, you were backing the idea, and the, the items were just a, a little something to sweeten the pot.
1: So, okay, so um, going from there, on your profile it says, like, how many successful Kickstarters you've had. Now, mm-hmm. does it specify if that Kickstarter was delivered kind of thing? So if someone, if this person who didn't, whoever it is, doesn't matter, didn't deliver on this project number one and decides to create project number two, is there a way that you would know, you know, this guy didn't
0: deliver on project number one. So you might not want to pledge. So Kickstarter doesn't have anything that shows you that on their website. Now, when I go and fulfill items, I can actually check Mark that I shipped them and you as the backer can check Mark that you received the item. But that doesn't show anywhere. It's not like an eBay rating or anything, which it should be. You're 100% right. Like, it should show track records, and that would build validity. So if somebody looks on my Kickstarter and they're like, oh, he has all these books. Well, it could have been all these books that I just never fucking shipped out. Um, Now, there would be a lot of people that would probably blast you on Reddit and online. Yeah, you'd have to look elsewhere, though. You would have to research that. But Kickstarter should implement a rating system. Isn't
1: that interesting?
0: Because I, I, mine shows like five-time Kickstarter, like content creator, but it doesn't say whether I'm like quote-unquote trustworthy because I have shipped out all the stuff. Like VGBS season one, we are successful. We shipped it out to 100% to backers, except for one guy, by the way. He didn't give us his address. It's sitting in the box waiting to be shipped to him as soon as he emails me back. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally just waiting for him to – didn't fill out his survey, doesn't respond to his emails. It's not on Kickstarter. Or not, I mean, Facebook.
1: And for, for you, it's obvious because, like, okay, you have, you know, so many funded that it's like, okay, this guy I can trust. But someone who has just one or two and you don't really know how long it's going to take. And I think that's a that's a big thing with the return customers, though. Yeah. It goes back to the return customers thing we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Retention, like client retention, is, is more important, I would say, than new customers, you could look at it a million ways because, you know, like we were talking, the Black Album Metallica sells 5,000 copies a week still to this day. Yeah. So they have new customers. So there is that argument, but in this field, in this microcosm, I think you want the fucking hardcore guys because they will back the next project and the next project because they're the hardcore microcosm, you know?
0: Well, they have something called super backers on kickstarter so if you back a certain amount of projects it'll say super backer next to your name so i mean those are the people that go around and just love to basically support new stuff there's people that are addicted to doing that it's like gambling almost for them it kind of is gambling and if you think about it mine's the least gambling at all because it's coming out because it will happen the one thing that I did notice, and this will be on the podcast, it'll probably air after the book's already out, but um, but the uh, this, the Super Nintendo book, like it's written. I have it with um, John Miller, This Room is an Illusion, the guy who did the boxes for VGBS Season 1. Awesome. He did well. He's doing the editing for the definitive Super Nintendo. He has them. But here's the thing. The new printing company takes six weeks once I approve everything it has six weeks to get printed and shipped out so i put december as the fulfillment date it's probably gonna be january just because six weeks we're already looking like like say i get everything done and approved by the middle of november it's with christmas and everything there's no way it's gonna happen before christmas
1: yeah, it's that funny thing, like, at present
0: time, time passes slowly, but looking back, it passes super fast. It does, and yeah. And the thing is, is that people will be fine, because it's not gonna go a year late or anything, and I'll be updating everyone, but it's like, I think that was something that I should've changed on, because when you set the, the goals on Kickstarter, you can put the dates, I think I should've just pushed it out to, like, March, that way people just get it by January it'll be by people's places by January Like that's, it's not going to be any longer than that it's just I don't think with Christmas and all that craziness trying to get a hold of the because when I'm getting a hold of the printing company um, I, I gotta figure out how to do it without doing a proof copy and what we've been talking about this whole episode is that every single time I've gotten a book there's been something messed up so if I don't look at a proof copy I feel like it's going to be messed up you know what I mean Yeah, because even if you do look at that proof coffee... It still might be messed up. Right. And then every single time, there's always something that I'm going to miss. The first complete NES, it said Back to the Futures. I missed it. I had an editor, Sergio Elizondo. He missed it. We're like, how the fuck did we miss that? Like, oh my God. Oh my God! I know, dude. I do that on the podcast where it's
1: like... Yeah. I'll listen to it recreationally. And I'm like, how the fuck? Like, that's why I, I always listen to it twice. Because it's
0: a weird thing, man. It's our minds, like, play tricks with us, dude. So the NES compendium, Here was a crazy one. So one of the homebrew guys that did the interview, right? hmm I used his name correctly in the bio, but then throughout the interview piece, I put his name as creator and I can't find any reference to why his nickname is Creator. It's not. But it says Creator. In the book. Every single time. Except for one time when I put his name, but I misspelled his last name. Weird. Somehow. And it's in the thing, and I'm like, how the fuck did that... He, he told me, he showed it to me, and I'm like, oh my oh. god. You got possessed like Ouija board shit. <laughs>
1: Andrew is playing with the Ouija board again
0: well cause like I was like googling it I was looking in my all my whole google drive I looked on Nintendo I just looked on Nesta every single spot I'm like where the fuck is a creator as a nickname and it's nowhere and I'm like I swear to god and I, I emailed him like I swear to god that's your nickname but I don't know where or how I got that but that's, that's why it's there
1: see it's so funny There's, like, the second side of us, so subliminal. It's like, where the fuck did that come from, or why didn't I notice that? Yeah. What the fuck, man? Yeah, dude. It's, the human brain is a terrible thing to taste, let me tell you.
0: (laughs) Now, now on the other side, the guy was being a jerk about it. That just ruins everything, in my opinion. And that was pissing me off. Because now you're not
1: respecting me for just me. He said the book was garbage because
0: I did (laughs) that. And I'm like that's one spot in the 350 page 360 page book. Oh, because he was mad. He was mad that he's like, well, I can't show this to any friends. I'll get laughed at. Why would he get laughed at? Because it's, instead of I think it was Walter, it was Walker or something. Oh, in the spot. And I didn't, I didn't notice that. And then every other instance is a creator. So I'm like, ugh. I was like, well, dude, I didn't notice that. I swear to God that was his A.K.A. So that, this is a good point. See, this is great. People
1: don't, like, tell this kind of shit. So this is the point where, okay, so you try to do something good for somebody and it backfires. For the whole community. It backfires on you. That's another classic. It's really hard, man. Well, and
0: that's... It's literally me editing 70 interview pieces all into one cohesive narrative. And everybody has their own writing styles when they did the interview. It was all crazy. Like, I, I stopped editing for content after the first question. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to leave it as their own words because I don't want to mess with anything. But, like, the whole bios, everything, like, it's you know literally giving them, showing people who read it, like, whose games go with what. But it's like, with that one, like somehow I had that guy down as
1: creator. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those weird things, dude.
0: I mean, this is the same guy that when I was writing about his game in the NES Oddities, he wanted me to change my opinion of what the game played like. I'm like, hmm. Which is funny when I get guys, and they contacted Sean Long and a few other people saying that I write reviews from game FAQs. I'm literally playing the game and writing about it. Though that's the thing. Like, so I, I was going back and forth with a homebrew creator. So you got your trolls. Yeah, like there was. Yeah. I was like, dude, I'm playing the games and writing that this game. Ki- I said the game kind of feels like Kung Fu, and the game in the mechanics aspect. He's like, well, this game jumps. Kung Fu doesn't jump. I'm like, yeah, but when you're attacking. You're literally having to time everything like Kung Fu when you attack your enemies and they go falling off the, off the screen the exact same way as the enemies in Kung Fu. We'll see the problem there right there is
1: it's his idea. What's well, his baby? Of like what it should be and it's like, well, then write your own, dude. There's only so much space to write so, so many lines. I can't like fucking elaborate on every little detail. I'm sorry if I didn't elaborate on
0: the one you wanted me to. I went the other way and I it's the most general game review ever it's like this is a game where you attack people with things like it's it's so general it's it's like i don't know what he's even complaining about because
1: you can go on youtube or game faqs and find out the whole
0: game so Mm -hmm. you just it's a catalog like Yeah, the point of the collector books is like, oh, you see this, like, hey, this Battle Kid game looks fucking cool. Then you put it in the Google machine and you see more about it. And then it helps those homebrew guys because maybe they'll get some extra sales because people will be interested in wanting to play their NES games and get some more NES nostalgia. That's what I'm using it for. That's what you're using it for. Hopefully other people who get this book love it, too. Like, hopefully it helps out and everybody gets to play new Nintendo games. It's a fucking win.
1: Which is funny because, you know, those, like, the Strategies and Secrets books you buy, like, Walden books for, like, Genesis, Nintendo, they were, like, thick. Yeah. And they'd be, they'd have, like, random games within them and some guy would would write about them. Number one, and I read through them, they're chock full of fucking typos. Tons. And number two... The information they tell you, a lot of it's fucking bullshit. Like, who the fuck played this?
0: I would never do it this way, or this doesn't even make sense. Well, we've done it with bullshit homework, where we've tore apart Nintendo Power Zone fucking strategies. When we're playing it, like Vice Project Doom, we are playing it and going over their freaking strategies, and we're like, well, that's kind of not the easy way to fight this boss. Here's how we did it. And it's funny, because it's like our way would technically be better but it's like they kind of play it their own way my whole thing is is as long as people are feeling something right <laughs> isn't that the classic like yeah yeah yeah. as long as you got their attention and your their passion yeah and of course you know we're directly connected and ingrained in the communities so i see the little stuff whereas if i was quote unquote big time i wouldn't notice it because i wouldn't have time to look like, there's that aspect. I kind of like being able to be ingrained in what I'm doing and enjoying it while I'm fucking living it, you know? Exactly. Yeah, so that that covers a lot of the printing things. And, of course, the, the new printing company, um, you know, it takes a little bit longer, but they print in bulk, so literally I'm able to make more books, and that's what it's all about. So everybody that's supporting me on Kickstarter is supporting me to be able to have extra books too and then those are able to be able to be bought by more people and it just continually adds to the beast and I think my account right now is near zero dollars like I've literally had to pay for all the print runs the as the books sell I have to pay bills here left and right and it's, like I don't have a paycheck from this shit it's just fun and it, it works it's all I, it's, I'm not paying anything out of pocket so it's a win right? mm-hmm and that's how I see it. Always, I work for a living, so I mean that's not my food, money, or rent or anything like this. Literally, everything from Hagen's Alley Books, everything that people support on Kickstarter, goes to the books. It's it's
1: not profit for you. No, that's the other thing people need to realize. So
0: yeah, that's the key. You're doing it for the community. You're not doing it for yourself. Now, if I only printed the exact amount that I have backers i could make money on it like i could it's there but i would rather do that as a passionate hobby and have extra copies and have you know go to can be able to go to conventions and you know talk about games and have books to sell to people there that help break even so i can you know go to conventions and it's all awesome long-term thinking versus short-term
1: thinking Mm -hmm. so you're in the long-term mindset where a lot of people are just in the you know get it quick get out yeah get what i can but you're more like let's pave this road and make it really fucking long and just ride it out and just let it snowball yeah avalanche over time and that's the thing where ultimately that's the payoff the other thing is, you know, we we have jobs where so it's not like our number one, you know, motive in life is to do this project.
0: Mm-mm. No, it's just a fun, passionate hobby and one thing we alluded to at the be- near the beginning of the episode was the warehouse deal. Didn't really talk about the the crazy ass warehouse. All right, so let's let's hit that real quick. <laughs> yeah, so so one thing is is that I've been with the Complete NES, all the games all the way to the complete SNES and the Culture Chronicles. I've been shipping them all out manually. I get them to the house. So I package them all up. You know, I, ra- I know exactly how to package books to a T. I know how to do it all perfectly so nothing gets damaged. It all comes immaculate to people's doorsteps. Mm-hmm. So I use the warehouse now because I'm printing way too many books to have in my house. The warehouse is a professional company. They ship all the time. I don't think they're used to shipping giant heavy books, though, because they're literally they're literally not wrapping up my books properly. So um, I ordered for here because I had to do leatherbound tomes, so I had to ship some to the bindery again. So I had them ship over like six or three and three or four and four oddities and compendiums, and I got it, and there was one piece of paper in there, and the books are all bent, all the covers are all jacked up because they didn't put any bubble wrap around it and so I emailed them and, and said hey um so are you guys not wrapping up the books before you send them they're like oh I've, I made sure there's paper in there and, and I'm like looking at them like there's not enough paper in there and and then she proceeded to tell me that there's not enough room to put bubble wrap around the books <laughs> And I'm like, okay, so number one, there's a fuck ton of space around the books that you sent me in the, in the carton that you send it in. Like there's so much space that you could put like a, like 16 more pieces of paper in there and it still would bounce around. Oh my God. So then I ordered one book because I had to take one of the NES compendiums and send it to the bindery since I was one short. Um, so I sent them my own copy and then I ordered one. So I got the actual carton, right? I took two of my books and wrapped them up in three pieces of bubble wrap so they're perfectly secured, put their piece of paper in there, it still fit in that carton that they shipped the one book in. Two books. Man. So uh, I'm like... the fuck? I, so I emailed them back because uh, when I send internationally, I'm getting people that are complaining. Well, because their books are coming and they're actually jacked up it's a legitimate complaint from a backer when you back something and the cover is smashed because it wasn't packaged right so this guy he paid $40 to get it shipped to the UK right and he said it was pretty expensive whatever but he wanted the books it cost me $71.77 to send that to him so I had to pay $30 extra to get it out to him and then they got messed up so now I got to send him two more books, which was sixty and forty from the kickstarters. It's a hundred dollars plus seventy-seven more, or seventy-one seventy-seven again. So that's a hundred and seventy-one dollar and seventy cent issue because they didn't want to put three pieces of bubble wrap around a book.
1: Yeah, it was such a simple solution though, but created such a huge issue.
0: So I email him and I go, "Well, here's the problem. I need a solution here." So I, I'm to this day right now waiting for a response, like they responded to me a couple days ago and then i haven't heard anything and so now it's the whole weekend deal um so i'm going to have to type them up another email and go all right so i need some kind of resolution because i can't afford to it's like the second or third one that's happened overseas like this
1: it's too many they can't fucking deal with that shit
0: like as long as they're liable for it and they fix it like i'm still out the books which sucks but at least then I'm not out, like, hundreds of dollars every time. Because, as I said, like, I am... My budget is perfect right now, and I can't afford to pay a bunch of shit because they're not packaging it up because they want to go underneath the, the stairs and take their break. <laughs> yes. And because that
1: salesman isn't checking the final results. See, you have that thing which we had the same exact problem where yeah the salesman they would rely on someone else to deliver it. The salesman should actually do the delivering. They're just too lazy in the back watching bang Bus or whatever. Which one dude was? He was addicted to bang bust those porn videos. Good old Josh Bickle. <laughs> <laughs> you know his name. He would just watch that shit all day. He never sold a fucking thing. It was
0: crazy, dude. And yeah, the salesman needs to be responsible for what they sell. And the funny thing is, so when I first started with them, I'm like, all right, so I'm going to put in this international and show me how to do it. They were showing me how to do it on the phone, step by step. They said, and their stateside one, you put in the name, the address line by line. When you change it to a different country, it stays the same. But the countries don't have a state. So I was like, "Well, what do I put in the state for Germany? Because they don't have a state. You put XX in there. That's what they told me. That was the first one that got lost because the because the USPS and then the German postal service didn't know what to do with XX. So after that, I started like looking it up and and ironically, guess guess who whose package was lost? No, no. The same guy whose name was messed up. and, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. And then so then the next time I went and I put it as NW or whatever because I looked up the providence of where he was from in that country and it was like NW or something was the abbreviation. So now I did and, – and you do a drop down to choose the country. Now there's another backer. I did that. I chose Germany. And he hadn't gotten his book. He asked me, and I sent him the tracking number. He said, It's in Kuwait. And I chose Germany. The fuck? I looked it up, and it's like DEU as the country thing. And I'm like, And so I asked the warehouse, and the one sales lady, she's like, Oh, it should be DE. I'm like, Well, I don't write that in. I use a dropdown. I chose Germany. I chose Germany on your website. There's no abbreviations on your site. So your site's messed up. Like, I'm, I'm like, what's going on? I was like, and anyways, there's no state. You should just update it. So when it goes international, it removes that as a mandatory thing. You can just remove it. And then the other aspect is because of that XX issue. And then, she, of course, she proceeded to tell me that the state should be XX. And I'm like, but I've already had a package lost doing that. So what I've been doing since then is in the notes, I put the exact paste. I paste in the exact address that the backer gives me. But they don't look at that. <laughs> so again though like the warehouse thing is supposed to be a convenience factor and it's helped me save a lot of time to be able to continue to work on books but then I'm dealing with all this on the back side where it's like they're literally like and most of the people though are getting their books and they're fine even with the one piece of paper most of the time it's fine but I may have to eliminate international shipping from the warehouse
1: it's looking nasty at the moment
0: because well, it's like if, if your book gets fucked up I can ship you another book and media mail shipping's a couple bucks that's okay I can eat that that's fine but when you're in fucking Germany and it's gonna cost me $70 to ship you a book and then it gets jacked up in the mail system and because they didn't package it right and I gotta pay another $70 plus the it's like no I can't do that
1: well, it makes sense why a lot of eBay American sellers only ship, you know, within the United States.
0: Well, I think what I'm going to have to do for international backers is they can only support during the Kickstarter. Because, I mean, right now, with the definitive complete SNES, another author, Chris Wilkins, who's doing a bunch of awesome... He's doing, like, this Crash magazine, which is about a bunch of uh, British computers, like the ZX Spectrum and stuff like that... Um, he is doing a lot of books. Well, he's like, yeah, I can help you with your shipping and I'm gonna do the vice versa for him in the States. But so in other words, he can do international shipping for like, I think 30 bucks or something, like anywhere. So I think like with the Kickstarter, all the international stuff's gonna go to him. He's in Europe. so like I'm gonna have a pallet go to him, whatever however many books there are, if it's like four cases or 40 cases, whatever it ends up being. If it's too much, he's probably not going to be able to do it in the future, by the way. But as long as it's a reasonable amount, he's going to take care of those. And then basically, whatever I'm charging, that's what he's getting too. So if it costs 20 bucks to ship it, he's getting 30 per one. So that way he gets paid... A decent amount for doing that amount of work because it's, it's not easy to ship that many fucking books. And if he's doing it for me it's whatever he gets, he gets. And hopefully it's worth his while. That's my whole thing. But I think after that, from the store perspective, it's it's gonna have to fucking be like, they're gonna have to email me or something. They have to really want it. Because it's, otherwise, like, now with, with this warehouse, like, I can't trust that they're gonna do it, right? Yeah. If you're a reviewer a blogger and you get a book and it's all jacked up it's gonna be me not the warehouse it's my name i'm the one who looks bad and it's like so i spend thousands of hours working on a book it looks amazing i get it it's it's amazing sitting in the warehouse right now and then they don't put bubble wrap around it and they get a book and it's fucked up because one person didn't take the time to wrap in a little bit of bubble wrap
1: and that was the one part that you didn't have control over. And it's like, God damn it, you guys can't do one fucking thing right.
0: <laughs> it's the one spot that I didn't do myself. And that's the thing. I could just do it all myself, but I don't have space in my house to do that. I don't have space for thousands of books.
1: And the here's your problem. Like, one employee is representative of an entire company. So yeah. if one fucking guy comes in hungover a stone and fucks up. And he makes the whole company look bad, where maybe the next day, you know, a great employee came in totally good and clean and did everything right. So it's just like the luck of the draw, too. It's so fucking crazy. And that's that's where it's its own rabbit hole. (laughs) Infinite rabbit hole with that.
0: So, you want to throw in anything else? I think that it's just, like, basically... This may come off as kind of a negative episode, but really it's more like just the trials and tribulations of what anybody goes through. This is just from my perspective with this crazy ass books and all of that. Oh, yeah, it's factual. If you get anything from this is that I this is the venture to get the best possible quality books there are without having a fuck ton of connections in the community. Like I built this all on my own. Like, I learned it, I learned what I had from where I have it, and the thing is, though, is that when people see the NES oddities and they're freaking out about the awesomeness of it, it's the blood, sweat, and tears that go through it, you know what I mean? And they hadn't stopped yet, because the warehouse shit is fucking real, the, you know, the printing company with the, the proofs that I'm not gonna be able to have eyes on, that's real, that's the next book. I may not be able to see the freaking proof and then there's a chance that they're going to send a thousand books to me that are fucked because I didn't see them. There's a chance. Yeah, and for everyone
1: listening, Jeff's on it. Every fucking mistake, Jeff lets him fucking know. So <laughs> I feel bad, but it's like... You got to, though. You, have you got to let him know because service is, is, you know, it's a guarantee. If If I put my money into this, then it should fucking pay out, right? Yeah.
0: Well, it's like I have a standard. Like It's just weird that it's like I feel like I'm the only one who's mentioning that, hey, the international shipping doesn't work. Do you not know this? This warehouse has been in business forever and for 100 years. I'm like, you don't know that 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 XX doesn't work in a lot of countries because there's a person there at the German mailing facility that doesn't know what the fuck that is. And they don't know where to send it. And then they just send it back. And when they send it back, guess what? It was damaged because it wasn't packaged right. Then they had damaged out my book. (laughs) The vacant analytics department. (laughs) (laughs) Like, goddamn. And then they shipped it back and they're like, oh yeah, it was damaged too. I'm like, so do do you front that cost or do I front that cost because you guys didn't package it up correctly and it got banged up? Can, Can you make sure that the post office fucking pays it? Like, whose fault is this? But in the end, it's it all
1: comes on to the the person. It'd be me. Yes, and that's what everyone needs to understand: project mm-hmm. creators and customers. Yep, damages,
0: and a lot of people that have done projects, they they understand too. The the dunnage is what it's called. It's the um you have to have a a dunnage aspect, like a certain percentage of stuff that's going to get broken or lost, or like say for example, the black box challenge. It was two years after I sent out the surveys um i'm pretty sure there's at least one person that contacted me that's address changed that didn't let me know until a month after i shipped everything and they're like oh by the way my address changed did you ever ship the game it's like i shipped it two months ago to the address you gave me oh i moved oh you didn't let me know when i sent an email to everybody like like there's always that too so then it's like well where do how do i do it you know
1: There's so many cans of worms and so many shelves of cans.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Crazy. Thank you for listening to
1: VGBS. We appreciate everybody taking the time to get through this whole uh, Arduous podcast. We love it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to correspond with us, you can email us at vgbspodcast at gmail.com. We also have a phone number. It is 226 bgbs you can leave us a voicemail shoot us a text message um, whatever you want
0: to do correspond also comment on us shoot us a message on Facebook Twitter Google Plus we love hearing what people um, think
1: about the podcast alright see you later Woo! later